Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm a talking Dionychus. No, I'm sorry, I'm not. Uh, I'm Matt Rossi. I'm the host. Uh, we were just doing a pre-show, and I talked a lot about Dionychus, so he's on my mind, as he always really is. I can just imagine him, feathers in the sun, running around, stabbing things with his feet. <sighs> just like a little roll. You know those birds me. exist in Elden Ring, too. They have swords in their feet now, though, instead of talons. It's, it's bad. Yeah, I don't know anything about Elden Ring other than I'm not interested. You just uh, said sword feet birds, sword feet birds. That's eh. all I, that's all you need to know. But anyway, uh, yes, we're doing a podcast. We're talking about things. Uh, both Liz and Joe are here this week. So that's fantastic. Uh, Liz say hi. Howdy. And Joe say hi. Hello. And now we're just going to jump straight into stuff because there's stuff to talk about. And more importantly, uh, I I'm really, it's, I'm trying to move. Like I'm my, my wife and I, and we're, we got a new house. Uh, up in Kingston, if you know anything about Edmonton, it's to the north, um, to the north of Edmonton, but it's not actually in the ice field. Don't worry, the, the Yeti will not get me. Um, but regardless, Are you sure you're, you aren't the Yeti? I'm not sure of that. No, but regardless of all this, you know, because there's a lot of stuff. Like right now, our kitchen is not easily usable because we have all this stuff piled up, and we're trying to navigate through it, and it's it's rapidly turning into the labyrinth. Like s- seriously, it's, it is not easy to make progress through my house at the moment. So. Things are a little, you know, up in the air and everything's frazzled and I'm a little frazzled. So we're just going to immediately talk about the first thing I want to talk about actually was last week. Uh, we, we didn't really get as much of a chance as we could have to talk about this because we didn't mention it at all. Um, <laughs> Burning Crusade Classic had its phase five start. It started last Tuesday. I think the day we were recording last week's podcast, because that's what we do. We do them on Tuesdays. I don't think we talked about it because... Sunwell Plateau wasn't out for another two days. And we so I was like, yeah, Sunwell Plateau is coming. Yeah. yeah, we said Sunwell Plateau is coming, but that's basically all we said. Apparently, Kael'thas in Sunwell Plateau was defeated in like 51, 51 minutes. minutes. Uh, not 51 Kael'thas, minutes. Not Kael'thas. Not Uh What's his name? Evil guy. Oh, bloody heck. Kael'thas is Sargeras. in the Magister's. Yeah, not, not Sargeras. Kill Jaden. Kill Jaden. Yeah. I knew it was a K guy. There, there are too many people with K names. Yeah, I was, I was trying to say Kelthuzad there, and I'm like, no, not Kelthuzad. Yeah, That's the wrong guy. Way. But yeah, we so literally from from starting the first pull to killing Kill Jaden, uh, it took them 51 minutes. Which I, I remember when this guild when this raid came out back in 2000. Uh, I want to say 2007, but it might have been 2008 early. I'm not sure. Whenever it was, uh, it did not take 51 minutes for them for that raid to get cleared back then it took significantly longer than 51 minutes i i want to say a couple months uh at the at the at the earliest but i don't remember exactly but i just remember like doing that entire raid in 51 minutes at the end of the expansion after you you, your guilt had it on farm was an achievement Mm -hmm. that's this is another one of those examples of like i didn't know it was physically possible to clear to get to the end of that raid in 51 minutes i mean i would think doing it when it was current and you were really good and geared up, I would still think it would be a couple hours. Yeah. Just for the distances you have to travel. Yeah. Like if yeah. you, if you took every mob out of that place, it'd still take you a solid 10, 15 minutes to run from one end of it to the other. It's big. It's a big raid. I'm like, wow, 51 minutes to clear that whole thing, man. Um, I don't, I honestly don't even feel like it's worth worrying about at this point. Cause I don't see what they could possibly do. At this point, to, they've they've buffed the encounters. They've added new mechanics to the encounters. They've added delays to the encounters. It doesn't matter what they do; these things are just getting blown up. Well, I don't think WoW Classic stuff. I don't think there's any really point in worrying about. Oh well, they're going to clear it too fast. Yeah, they are going to clear it too fast. <laughs> Buckle up. I mean, just- I think I think what they do is basically season of mastery, like the problem with wow classic if you want to say there is a problem because a lot of people really enjoy wow classic and the fact that people clear it quickly is not does not necessarily diminish anyone's enjoyment everyone can still tackle this content at their own pace it's there for them to do but i think if you want to have a challenging thing that feels maybe more like the original that's what season of mastery is for season mastery is to mix it up and maybe make things harder or more interesting in different ways well, then that kind of does lead to the other thing that I was going to mention then, because last week, uh, somebody really clever had me write a post about Seasons of Mastery and how we could, you know, gussy them up. And uh, that person was you. So 
let's talk about season themes and season of mastery and all that stuff. How, how could world classic change the season of mastery to, to extend its life? Like, is it just as simple as, you know, we're going to have a burning crusade one next. And then after that, we're going to have a, a wrath one where they just restart again. Or can you add other stuff? Can you put themes in? Can you do special mechanics for them? What, what, what do you guys think we could, we could do to make the season of mastery last longer or be more innovative? I really think you look at Diablo three. I mean, Diablo three is, 10 years old. That's a whole different story. And yeah, we'll be talking still, about that. Yeah, it's still pretty fresh. It's still pretty fresh because you go in each season, you know, seasons last about three months and there's something new and interesting to do. Uh, there are new challenges, there are new mechanics, there's new gear. So you find yourself, if you enjoy the Diablo gameplay, not everyone does, some of us do, you find yourself going back because there's something new. And the, the struggle with WoW Classic is that there's, not anything new and it's fun to revisit the past but it's also fun to do new things sometimes you want to do new things and i think that's where season of mastery can come in well one of the things i was thinking about is, do you guys remember just before uh burning crusade classic came out when they were first starting to make changes to wow classic one of the things they changed was like the orb that absorbed the your dragon slayer buff like you could get like you could put your buffs on this thing and then let them expire off of you and they'd just be yeah. on this thing until you clicked on it, and it would put them back on you? Yeah. Imagine a season where that was the whole season. Like, you you basically, you get, like, every time you kill a dragon, you get Rallying Cry of the Dragon Slayer. And so you could change your entire raid thing around killing a dragon first. Like, okay, we're, we want to push new content, so we're going to go kill Anixia. And then everybody will have Rallying Cry of the Dragon Slayer, because we'll turn her head in, and we'll go do more stuff. Like, or you could have, like, didn't they, they put in that iron thing, like where you could, you could do stuff on like ultra hard mode. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Uh, the, the iron thing was like just playing all the way through without dying. Right. Yeah, But there was like a buff that they put on your character, it, it, a debuff they put on your character if you died. And so that debuff mm -hmm. kept you from getting it. You could make that like the entire theme of the season of a the season theme could be about a, a special buff that you got. Like if you didn't die at all or whatever there's lots of different things they could do they could change the way the game plays without adding in new stuff to the fights necessarily like you like i mentioned before like you the the, the trial of the tempest theme where you had just random elemental damage things like that joe you got anything honestly if i was going to choose something i would be adding things to fights or changing the way that encounters were at least slightly we often talk or at least we used to often talk about how wow classic isn't vanilla wow they are two completely different things yes they have the same feel of it uh to a certain extent but like the the speed at which people are clearing raids and things like that really drives that home Right. It really drives home that, like, because of the way that the knowledge for these things have been institutionalized, the access to the different ways of how to beat things with technology kind of skewing it, um, things are always going to go faster than they were back then. Um, it's just the nature of things. There's no way around it. But if you were to look at things like challenge modes or mythic plus dungeons with modifiers, having a season where maybe there was a modifier or something that happened to change the feel of it, I think could be just fine. And I think it might be something players enjoy because I think because of the, the age of these uh, you need to have something that keeps them fresh and keeps them recycling. It goes back to kind of what Liz was talking about with like the Diablo seasons, the Diablo seasons always add something new something or at least try to something to spice it up at regular intervals um and let's be honest like diablo diablo 2 diablo 3 they're games that you play that don't necessarily change unless it's that particular season with those particular boundaries or whatever mechanic they put into it having raids and dungeons that do that in classic i think is pretty cool they're talking about doing that with regular dungeons on live already and or regular raids on on live already and i was super excited for that but i think it could also be leveraged as a really good way to sort of not get more longevity out of the old classic content but give players more challenges to overcome i, I don't know if that makes sense i'm sorry if that's a little incoherent but I, I, I just kind of think it would be neat all right well before we move on i actually had one other idea why you guys were talking and i was like 
players back in the the thing that back when we were all playing World of Warcraft for the first time, and this content was the new content, but it was also getting towards before uh, Burning Crusade came out. It was new content, but it had been out for a year, you know, like Azurgos or mm-hmm. Kazak, and so people began doing odd things. <laughs> that cough there. Um, one of the things that always came to mind was people would kite Kazak all the way to Stormwind because once Kazak started killing Stormwind guards, he basically went into ultra mode. He became almost unstoppable. And then I remembered, do you remember when the Burning Crusade started and they opened up the dark portal and had you know, the guy, my, one of my favorite guys, High Lord Cruel showed up because mm-hmm. Kazak had left. And I, I, to this day, still laugh whenever I make the joke about how High Lord Cruel, what's next, Grand Warlord mean? Uh but regardless, imagine if you started just making Kazak go to Stormwind or making a Zuragos walk into Orgrimmar or having the, the Dragons of Nightmare just randomly show up uh, in Ironforge or, you know, outside Ironforge or like at Teldrassil or what have you. Because we know that this is doable. You know, if you've ever done a PTR, when the PTR closes down, especially for like the beta, the, sometimes the the the, D, the GMs will just show up and start spawning these bosses. <laughs> and not just the bosses I just mentioned. I've, I remember at the end of one of them, like watching like the Lich King fight Ragnaros out to, outside of Stormwind. Like they can do that. They can. So imagine if that, that was something that was actually built into the game. It was like, like, you know, destroy all monsters, Kaiju attack with wow bosses randomly attacking cities throughout like every, not every, not like constantly. You don't want it to turn into like, you know the, the the plague thing from from Zulgarub. You don't want to like have corrupted blood plague levels of d- disruption, but it would be cool if every so often, you know, oh oh, oh Alakir is here, or not Alakir, sorry, Thunderon. Prince Thunderon just spawns, and maybe it's not even like in a major city. Maybe it's like in Feralos. He just shows up. He's just there. Like okay, whatever. I just think that there's lots of cool, weird little things they can do. They could do like all sorts of stuff to make it more interesting. But we've talked about that a bit, and Liz mentioned it, so we should turn move on to the next thing. Namely, that I believe as of last week, uh, the twelfth was it? The twelfth that, that they said? I'm not sure. I remember the exact day, and I can't. But Diablo three turned ten this year. Uh, came out in 2012. It's now 2022. Uh, it would be in fourth grade if it were a person. Uh, that's that's something to think about. Uh, you, or something like, not to think about ever try to think not think about it as hard as you can sort of thing okay yeah mm-hmm. fair enough fair enough but i was gonna like there's lots of things we could talk about like there's the fact that the echoing nightmares mode is going to be permanent now they've added that permanently to all diablo 3 if you just like doing rifts and you're like you know what's going on are you guys going to raise the the difficulty cap here so that we can get, you know, more stuff like a higher level greater rifts. The answer is no, we're not going to get greater rifts past 150. Instead, you're going to farm greater rifts for the petrified screams you need to run this content. And when you do, then you'll get new you'll get new stuff and more difficulty that way because this thing literally never stops being harder. It just continually escalates until you can't fight anymore. Like it will find your level and eventually surpass it even if you're incredibly powerful. That's how they're designed. So what do you guys think uh, about that? And what do you guys think about just, you know, I'd like to hear either, each of your memories of Diablo 3, if you don't mind sharing them, just like something that the 10th anniversary reminds you of. Now let's go with Joe first, because Liz talked last time. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to add to it. I didn't get as hard into Diablo 3 as I had like Diablo 2. Um, so like once I kind of got done with it, I didn't really go back. So, yeah, I don't I don't really have much to add on that one. I'm sorry. Okay, Liz? Diablo is such a kill, kill, smash, smash, kill, smash, kill. You know, I don't have any specific, like, there's no specific moment that stands out to me because it does kind of all blur together to an extent. It's just, it's just such a fun kind of visceral game that you lose yourself to it because it's, on one hand, you look at it from the outside, and this should be really, really, really repetitive, and it is, but it never entirely stops being fun, which is, like, that doesn't make sense to me. This should get boring after a while, but it never quite does. It's always just fun. I'm going to go in here, and I'm going to smash the heck out of everything, and I'm going to destroy a bunch of demons, 
in like one hit, I'm going to destroy all these demons. And it's just, it's fun. And I think that's kind of a monumental achievement that they've made something that is genuinely really a repetitive kind of game, but it's just, it's a positive it's simple, feedback, but loop. it stays fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's feels- really good at that. Well, um, there's something we're going to talk about later, but I'll just mention now that I think that in a lot of ways, the Diablo gameplay experience is very much like playing Tetris. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You are yeah. doing the same thing over and over again. There's nothing different. Like if you've sat down and played Tetris for an hour, or if you sat down and played Tetris for 20 hours, you have played the exact same thing probably several hundred times. And yet Tetris can, you will, you can do that with Tetris. You can wake up and be like, Oh, Four hours have passed, and I have been making shapes going to other shapes <laughs> for that entire period of time. Uh, they're called tetronomos, sir, not shapes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for proving my point. Um, but yeah, no, seriously, like I think that's something like that Diablo has. But for me, the thing I was going to mention was I remember when I thought when where Diablo three clicked for me, where I I went from eh, I can play this sometime to oh 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 no, and that was. When they put in the changes before Diablo 3 uh, Reaper of Souls came out. Because I tried playing Diablo 3 when the real money auction house was a going thing. And I wasn't, like, I wasn't spending real money. Like, that, because that would have, you know, I wouldn't have been able to eat. 12 years ago, we were definitely not in a place where I could go around spending a lot of real money on video games. Spoiler alert, I'm still in that place. Um, but... When they when they put in all the changes, they they changed the drop rates. They made things you know you could you could farm for legendaries. Everything was much much more about playing the game than trying to play the auction house. They essentially ripped the auction house right out of the game. They just took it out, and that for me, I I don't think that they were wrong to experiment with the auction house. I thought that I thought at the time it was an interesting idea. Uh, I don't think it was realized to what they what they had talked about wanting it to be. I don't think that's what they ended up getting. And there's lots of possible reasons for that. But regardless of who you blame and what, what you what you say about it, when they removed it, the gameplay loop they brought in, which I'll just admit this, was straight up Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. They just took the they just took the gear itemization ideas from Diablo 2 and made them good, as opposed to the horrible disease nightmare slog that Diablo 2 is. I'm just sorry, but it's true. Um <laughs> But th- basically, by doing that, by basically just stealing that wholesale, they made the game amazing. I remember like going, "Oh my god, yes, this is what I wanted you to be. I wanted to get stuff from doing this instead of trying to. Okay, I got a bunch of gold now. I have to go to the auction house and search for the weapon. Nope, it fell in front of me and I picked it up. That's how this is supposed to go. And there's something in that." that I think there's a lot you can learn. Like Wyatt Chang did a Q and a kind of an impromptu Q and a in Twitter. Do you guys see it? No, no. Yeah. He basically was like, Oh yeah, it's the anniversary. I'm going to go ahead and ask me questions about the development. And one of the things that really hit me about it was the idea that sometimes, sometimes game design is, is surrendering to something that is less elegant and less in, in every objective way, less precise, less, elegant less well designed but it hits that thing you guys were talking about that reptile brain response of you know the old idea of the the rat in a cage with the button that it can hit to give itself a dopamine blast because it's it's got like a a switch in its head now Mm -hmm. and the animal would supposedly just sit there and hit that button over and over again there's a certain element of that in diablo's design that the real money auction house actually messed with that yeah i mean because you have the it was the it was that it is called a positive feedback loop, and it's the I have spent X amount of time in game and have accomplished Y, or I have spent X amount of time doing something and earned something. And in Diablo's case, it was, you know, this perfect loop of I want to smash demons. I'm doing this power fantasy. I'm going through and becoming this barbarian or Amazon or whatever it was. And now I'm getting more gear and this gear feeds back into me being able to do this more, better and more effectively than it was before. And like, it just hit that perfect stride in balance. So like it was great. And then the, the auction house kind of disabled, or I don't want to say disabled it, but it, it tried to capture the same idea and feeling of like back in the day, like in Diablo two, where people would pay for ruins or items uh, in staff of Jordans, right. Or, or things like that, where you, you would say, I want this bail run and you'd be like, okay, 12 SOJs. Um, But if you weren't doing that, you were just getting loot 
and the better things you were able to kill, the better loot you got, the more likely you were to get a set item or a unique item or something like that. Uh, but yeah, Diablo three with the real money auction house kind of broke that cadence. And then they found that loop again later on, which I'm glad they did. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. So that was my thing was just that general idea. But, um, let me see. There's a lot more stuff to talk about the, uh, We'll see. Right now, as in today, according to the email, um, Overwatch Anniversary Remix is launched, and they're doing basically just older events uh, that they, you know, that they've done before, rather than attempt to do new ones. Because right now, I think it's basically all hands on deck are developing on Overwatch Two, so they yeah, didn't want to have teams they, working on new events right now. It. Yeah, so that's happening, and that's going into June. I think that's the seventh of June. Um, Liz, you got a note here about Second Dinner. Uh, I know that they're doing a bunch of, they're working on Marvel stuff, but we don't know what, but they're talking about something coming out. I know that, I, I'm going to throw in my own note, that I know that Frost Giant um, is doing something involving their RTS also within the next couple of months, because they've been telling me this. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when, when, when someone tells you we're doing a thing, I'm like, okay, I, I will remember that. So this is me mentioning it. Uh, you keep telling me to mention it. I'm mentioning it. You guys are doing something, um, but they haven't revealed what it is yet. They just know that they're gonna they're gonna be sending out invites at some point. Uh, I believe I've been told. So, new companies that are born from Blizzard. There's at least two of them that we're talking about now. That those are the ones that we've actually. Second dinner had Ben Brode in it. You you mentioned that, right? Yes, Ben yeah. Brode and a lot of other people from Hearthstone. Brode is just the one that immediately hits my mind. He was like the face of Hearthstone for a long time. Yeah. So, and also recently, on. I know I learned is a avid Magic the Gathering player. So thanks, Ben Broad. I saw you. If you happen to be listening to this, saw you on uh, on those that that particular YouTube show. <laughs> Sorry, oh, that's fine. Um, this one is one that I wrote a post about. I didn't go live, but it will at some point, I'm sure. Uh, this week, um, I think on Thursday, uh, Steam is yeah, nineteenth is Thursday. So yeah, Steam is doing their their cerebral puzzle showcase for puzzle games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about puzzle games that I think we all can kind of agree on. I know Liz and I, Liz talked about it in a note in the, in the post I was writing. <sighs> puzzle games are often not really given the respect that you might expect them to. Like Joe just mentioned Tetris before, and like that's called Tetraminos. Tetris was is one of the top selling games of all time. Tetris has generated literal billions of dollars of revenue. It has sold, I think it has actually sold a couple billion copies through its various iterations. And yet, when you talk about puzzle games, a lot of times people denigrate them. And, which is, and go, those aren't real games. It's like, that's mobile crap. You guys say something, Joe. So. I was going to say, which is weird because like a lot of games are puzzle games that people maybe forget are actually puzzle games. Mm-hmm. Like Portal and Little yeah, Nightmares. Actually- yeah, in the post I wrote, I was like, you could argue Portal is a puzzle game. It is. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could definitely totally. argue that. Um, or for that matter, like you know, we were here and its various sequels. Mm-hmm. You know, up to the new, the current one, we were here forever. All puzzle games, on, but on, there's an action adventure component to them. But yes. there's definitely, um, I think the the most recent we trying. Were here, oh, trying. You and I used to talk about trying all the time. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, or or the new one, uh, Tunic. Yes. Well, Tunic is. Tunic's- Tunic is a puzzle game with a very thin veneer of Legend of Zelda kind of yeah, very sprinkled much so. on it. It's like it basically feels Tunic feels an awful lot to me like if you took the the uh, Breath of the Wild um I don't want to say tomb but I can't think of the right word for them. The things you went down shrines. into, yeah, the shrines. It's like that's the game for Tunic. Just the shrines. More or less. But they're with different mechanics. But the shrines themselves, I mean Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, the shrines are are puzzles. They're giant puzzles to solve. Uh, um, Celeste is another really good example of a game that often is just thought of as an action platformer, but you're solving the puzzles in each room you're in or monument Valley. Yep. Uh, although that's very much a, that's a mobile game again, and people denigrate mobile games regardless. We this, can talk about this, mist. Uh, showcase. Yeah. <laughs> we're, before you, we got to get to actually talking about this thing. Sorry. Uh, the cerebral puzzle showcase that steam is doing is going to be them basically saying, here are all these cool puzzle games and we're going to feature them and we're going to like, let you, Maybe you've never really known that you like puzzle games. Maybe you've not really played that many or you've played them, but you didn't really realize what they were. So you can, if you love the games, they're already here and you can look at them. And if you've never really given this a thought, here are some, some suggestions because we're selling them cheap. 
I like this because, like I said, a lot of times people don't really think about this game is, in fact, a puzzle game. Like the, the Portal thing you mentioned. A lot of people love Portal and will, like, in the next breath, you know, talk about how crappy puzzle games are. Same with Braid. And, yeah, Braid. Braid is a weird game in a lot of ways. Or the one I mentioned is Baba is You. Have you played Baba is yes, You? Yes, I have. That is Baba a weird is game. That is a but weird game, but it's a good it's game. It's a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Like one moment, Baba is you. Right now, Rock is you. <laughs> what? I'm the Rock now. What? There's there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation in the puzzle field, and a lot of games that bleed into puzzle because you know, like the the indie market has this idea: we want to do this, but we also want to do that. So you end up with like a lot of games that are puzzle games, but they're also kind of like action hybrids. I want to see what they choose to put in their their showcase, like because I don't think people understand the weight steam actually has not only that but also like recently this is kind of important too because like the steam deck is going out to a lot of people which now means handheld gaming for steam games and a lot of these games have never been available in like from a pc or uh console wow the word escaped me for a minute there uh in a handheld format before so like now coming back to them, it seems like really good timing too. Yeah, there's a lot of different aspects to this, but uh, I'm gonna say like I I know Joe and I can talk about it, but we were just talking and we kind of talked over Liz there. Liz, can you think of a puzzle game you'd recommend to people to see if it's on this to showcase to see if they could pick it up? You see, I'm not I'm not a big I'm not big into what I would call puzzle games. I mean, I've played Monument Valley, I've played Portal, and I've played things like that, and I recognize that these are highly based on puzzles. But, you know, I can't think of a puzzle game that I've played recently. So that's one reason that I'm really interested in seeing the puzzle showcase to see, okay, what's out there? What's new for puzzles? Because when we do talk about puzzles, it's, you know, I think of things like Tetris, which are really fun games, but they're old games. So, yeah, mostly I'm curious. I want to see what's going on here. Okay, Joe. I mean, I've already gone through a whole bunch of them, but like... If you had to pick one of the ones you've talked about, which one would you pick? Uh, don't do that to me. Um, Dude, choose your children. No. <laughs> uh, honestly, Celeste, if it winds up up there, is a game that I think everybody should play. Uh, it can be very frustrating at times, uh, but you kind of get the hang of it. Um, it's a very good game, and it is really a puzzle-solving game that does combine uh, input and, and quick reflexes. So... That would be mine to see if it's on there. I mean, otherwise, Psychonauts is technically a puzzle game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. I mean, I just, you know, I'm I'm absorbing that and saying, yeah, he's right. He's right. Psychonauts <laughs> is a puzzle game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he is. He is right. Uh, I'm going to say, um, if you don't go get Baba as you, you're giving yourself a disservice. Uh, it is, if it is available on the sale and you haven't played it yet, pick it up because it is fun. It is very hard to describe. Like just basically it is a puzzle game where the rules change and the format of the rules is usually something is you or something is something like wall is stop wall is go like things like that. They, they, the rules change while you're playing it and the formulation is along those lines and it, it's, it's good. It's a good game. If for some reason you don't want to do that and you want something a little bit more structured tunic is out and tunic is, like I said, it's kind of like the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild if you just did the shrines. Yeah. Like if you just made with, the shrines into a game. With understanding less because the the whole idea is being a stranger in a strange land, not knowing the language. Yeah. Type thing. There's yeah. like, for instance, like as you play, you learn more about the language. So mm-hmm. you actually start to understand what the 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 UI is telling you. The UI in the game is is originally in a language you don't understand. And so you have no idea what it's saying to you. You. You know, it's another really good one as far as puzzle games go that does also have like story slash voice acting and stuff like that in it. Uh, super liminal. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. It, it is a super fun game. And if it happens to be on that list, like it, it's an interesting game because it forces you to think about uh, non-Euclidean space, which is a weird sentence that I never thought I would say. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really cool because it, it's like you. there's multiple ways to solve the puzzles of the rooms you're moving through uh, and to get to your accomplished goal. But at the same point, it's like the, the rules can be like they're really well defined and really rely on you to figure out what's your best way to get through it. 
it's and it's super trippy. Like I, I absolutely adore that game. Okay, and uh, now we're going to have a really great segue here. Uh, the thing I forgot to mention was that Master Loot or something like it might be coming back to World of Warcraft oh, in, in Dragonblight. <laughs> um, we we had, wrote a po- we had a post about it last week. Uh, basically, Ian has a post that's in an interview where he said it's it's not that they don't want to bring Master Loot back because a lot of people on the team have talked about it. It's that when they had originally developed personal loot, the reason they got rid of Master Loot was because it was Master Loot was at this point a very old system. The the entire loot system that Master Loot was based in was very old, and making it work alongside personal loot was very hard. It was also something that was being abused too. It was being abused. It, Master Loot was abused from day one. Like I'm sure every single person who ever played when Master Loot was a thing has at least one horror story of Master Loot being abused. I have the opposite of a horror story because I once watched Master Loot get hijacked to save something for me. Um, but I don't think we have time for me to tell that whole story. But <laughs> but I did at one time a, a guild a guild member literally stopped the raid dead and wouldn't let something happen. Uh, because it was unfair, even though it was the it was within the dragon kill points and all that, he he did not let it happen because it was unfair. But but nevertheless, Master Loot had its issues, it had its problems, and it was it was also very hard to get that system to work alongside personal loot. And they wanted to put personal loot in for a lot of very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they were putting in LFR, and there was no way you could have Master Loot in LFR. Like there had to be a system for people to get gear yeah. out of LFR that wasn't dependent on one person in the raid being, you know, a good guy or girl, whatever. whatever. So they want to bring it back, but they need to make it work in such a way that it doesn't. You don't get you don't get situations where people set up runs where personal loot type stuff is dropping, but it can be master looted to other people. Because then they're going to set up raids where, like, literally everybody's a warrior. Like, we, we brought an extra ten warriors to get our tank his his tier set. Because I mean, as they we all already know, do that. They oh, already yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So they don't want to bake that into the loot system. And and I get it, but I think I think the overwhelming consensus for a lot of people who play in guild groups yeah. is that having the ability to use master loot will get rid of some of the artifacts of stuff like personal loot that's really annoying. Like, for instance, I got. Hey, I got an an upgrade that dropped from the boss and didn't come from like, you know, just me getting it, but I can't give it to anybody because technically it's an, it's an actual upgrade, but I can't use it because it will, it will cheat me of a stat I need. And we literally just had this happen last night. So like we're going through, uh, of the first ones on heroic and we just had this happen. Me and Liz, where somebody in our raid got a ring that was super high in mastery and I am just a glutton for mastery. And I wanted this ring because it was going to get me to a, a mastery break point uh, that I had previously let myself lapse from without sacrificing crit. But because it was an item level increase for the person who got it, even though the stats were absolutely terrible for the, the particular monk that had it, couldn't trade it. Like, and so it just got sharded. Like it's, it's stuff like that. Like it's, it's this idea of like you're pointing out, uh, gear going to waste and it feels bad, especially in a guild group where we're trying to progress. Uh, and now that they're doing things like, and I'll use Sepulcher, uh, and I can use, uh, Castle Denathrius. Uh, there are certain bosses that are hard walls for either DPS or healing. They're starting to put those fights back in. I don't think that's going to slow down. We've seen those fights starting to ramp back up and we used to call those patchwork fights or whatever, where you had to have the gear to get past them, those are back. Holandross is a really good example of a fight where if you don't have just the right amount of gear, you ain't getting past them. Anduin's another one. But like, if you keep sharding loot because, let's say, a 270 ring drops, but it keeps going to somebody who just can't use it or won't use it, and then they get rid of it, the next time it drops, it does another check. Does that person have an item level equivalent. So like doing something to finally address that I'm really happy. And I understand that this was probably something that was really long in the works. Um, but I just appreciate that. Like it is happening, right? Like, yeah, they don't know what they're doing yet, but sure. they do know they want to do something. So like having master loot caused problems, but removing master loot caused different kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And personal loot is a different sort of problem than master loot was. I so, think personal loot worked really well. Yeah, uh, for the things case. it was for, 
But when it became everything, then the problems started to show. Personal loot works great for groups where you don't know anybody. Yeah, pugs. It's great for pugs. It's a great pug yeah, system. Perfect. It's great for five man or five person dungeons where you don't, you just joined it, you run the thing, and then you leave. And that's fine. But for p- guild groups or groups of people who know each other, it's a problem because one of the problems is the one you just mentioned. The other problem is that it gets really confusing. Like, I, I know we don't do coins anymore, so that's not an issue. But before that, there was that whole problem of, oh, well, something dropped, but I, I, I got a coin on it. That's how I got it. So I can't give it to you because it's from my coin roll. And they don't do that anymore, obviously. Now it's all, uh, it's all the Great Vault. So at least that they got rid of. The Great Vault solves that problem. But the, but the problem of not being able to trade gear for various reasons, and some reasons you don't even know. Like it, it says, I have an up. I've got a, a ring as good as this, but it's not. It's not just that. It's also this reason you can't trade it. It, it is annoying, and I think that letting per, letting groups that built themselves have more control over their how they handle loot is a good idea. Uh, in general, I think that's a good idea. But I think at this point we're pretty much done with this stuff, so we can move on and do some questions from y'all. Um, as is usually the case, I will now confusingly explain how you can ask us questions because I'm really good at this. Um, first up, you can email us. I-, I like emails. Thank you to to the people who do email. It's really it's really great. Uh, the email address is podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. And you can also email any of our other podcasts. So if you've got a question for Tavern Watch or a lore watch you can ask them there too uh we did get a tavern watch question the other day and i meant to mention that i don't remember if i did though uh but also if you'd rather use our discord we, we have a discord and you can go to the if you're a patron you can go to the patron q and podcast questions channel and leave a question in there uh several of these questions were, were snagged from there thanks guys and if you're not a patron but you still want to ask us a question you can go to the the just the straight up q and podcast questions channel that that anybody who goes to our discord can use and you can ask us a question there so that all being covered, since you've been gone for so long, Liz, uh, I want to hear you read an email <laughs> real bad, so you're up. Okay. From Roxy. Question for the podcast. It is your friend Roxy Goblin Shaman from Hyjal, US. I wanted to discuss the Hall of Fame Blizzard introduced to track the top 100 mythic final boss kills for each faction. Blizzard initially stated that this would help dictate when cross-faction mythic would open up. That was when the first 100 Horde and 100 Alliance guilds killed that boss on Mythic. You could compete cross-realm. It also seemed to have a hope that perhaps some of the 10x Horde guilds might swap factions to get Hall of Fame. As of this time of writing, we currently stand at 74 Horde guilds who have cleared Mythic. And I'm sure this was written uh, a few days ago, and it's probably more now. I can tell you right uh, now, it's 100... Uh, horde oh, guilds. really? Did the they horde, have mm-hmm. horde filled it okay. up, and the so alliance horde... have 12, I think. Um, and, and Roxy says, and six alliance guilds at the time. With the upcoming cross-faction rating, do we see changes coming to Hall of Fame? Has Hall of Fame succeeded? Um, I think I can certainly say Hall of Fame hasn't succeeded in doing what it was meant to do, and right now it just locks people out of content. It locks people out of, you know, uh, playing cooperatively which i don't like you should be able to play with the people you want to play with so that cross realm mythic is feels really important to me that you can do cross realm with whatever you want what about y'all well i'll I'll straight up i mean we've been seeing this debate flare up recently pretty much like the the vast majority of world first mythic guilds are horde and we're now seeing that even guilds that are not world first but that are realm first guilds are almost exclusively horde Mm-hmm. Like the 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 imbalance. It, well, you guys are horde. Yep. Even yeah. like these casual guilds are horde. And almost every everybody who's pushing content in any way almost seems to be horde. Whether it's because horde racials are better, whether it's because you know people are just. The, I remember writing years and years ago when I worked for a site y'all might have heard of called Wizard Blizzard. You know, called <laughs> you know Wow Insider. I'm trying to say Wow Insider, I'm calling it Wizard Blizzard. Wizard Blizzard, but. I remember writing a thing called like perception trumps reality where it's if people believe that horde have a significant advantage, even if that advantage is less than 0.1%, if it's, you know, 
the horde, you know, horde raids will clear this thing one day faster or what have you, they will switch. And over time, as more people do it, it becomes, it goes from an idea people have to a truism to practically unstated law. Everyone believes this. I think that's a big part of why Horde is, is more popular than Alliance. It started off with like some people just like the Horde more. Other people, they want the mechanical advantage they believe they get for being Horde. For other people, it's just it's easier to get groups now because there are more Horde than Alliance. So as the, the pool of players goes up, all these things skew it. And once you hit a certain point, it will not correct unless you do something to correct it because there's the inertia. Like, like you're in a group with your friends and your friends are all horde. You don't have much incentive to go Alliance. Yeah. Like, why would you, I don't want to lose my friends. I want to keep playing with my friends. So the system, the way it's set up now, cross faction might help with this, but the way it's set up right now, there's a lot of reasons to keep playing horde. Also like no offense, but it's one of those things where, I really would love to know the numbers of how many guilds are actually raiding mythic versus how many guilds are actually raiding heroic or lower, Mm -hmm. because I think that there's been an increase in, or at least there was, I I don't know if that's really the case anymore, but previously there was a perception that blizzard tends to cater to more mythic raiding in general. Uh, they look at the mythic raiders and what they want and how they can adjust their encounters. See patch notes where phases on mythic get increased or decreased, but normal and heroic don't get touched for weeks. Um, but if not that many guilds are doing mythic, then the Hall of Fame has no chance of actually doing what it's supposed to do. And it just becomes a way of saying, no, we're still not doing cross faction. Sorry. Have a nice day. Um, I think letting it be open to just let players play with who they want to is the best thing you can possibly do. And I don't especially think since it, yeah, I, especially since it's basically just cross server mythic groups that are affected by this. Yep. And so it's basically handicapping the very people who might want to do this. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's really it. Like honestly. And I, I so in terms of has the hall of fame succeeded? No, I don't think it has. Uh, if anything, I think it's just been a continued hindrance that has been looked to as a, yeah, this is why we aren't doing it, if that makes sense. So we'll, we're going to get there. It's going to be fine. So All right. Uh, next up, I was saying, I guess we'll have um, Liz, because Liz wasn't here for a while. <laughs> hey, Adarina Mall, welcome. Read- welcome to the party, Liz. Uh, uh, I'll just read all the questions. Okay. Corey, our good friend and coworker Corey, who came through for us when we didn't have a lot of questions this week. Corey asks question for the podcast. Which Warcraft class would be the most overpowered in real life? I mean, all of them. Have you seen the things we do? <laughs> I, I jumped off of a building and landed in an exploding cloud just r- routinely. Um, I routinely carry around swords the size of small boats. Um, I can yell really loud and not take damage from an explosion in my face. You can yell so powerfully, you increase the health of those around you. Yes. (laughs) You imagine like someone just goes, you're like, I don't feel very good. Feel better. Yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. (laughs) And in our guild, we call that taco yell. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Yeah. No, all of them. But I like, I think Druid would be particularly broken. I'm gonna also say any 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 of the classes that can just randomly make people get up from being dead. Yes. <laughs> like you know, oh, oh, I have an heart attack. Okay, you're back up now. Don't do that again. I can I can only do that once while we're being yelled at. <laughs> I mean, as a longtime paladin player, I think I'm obligated to say paladin because you know, if anything bad is going to happen to me, I can just say. Nah, this bad thing isn't gonna happen. I'm just gonna gonna divine shield, and I can ignore it. Uh, actually, in raid last night, we were fighting Zymox, and I was like, "Oh no, I can't get out of this ring of death fast enough. I'm gonna hit divine shield," and I hit the wrong button, and I died. But <laughs> I could have you just- successfully hit the right button. And I so good. Yes. It was so good. This is a mechanic that I can ignore if I need or want to. If I'm out of position or I'm just lazy. I can just I can just hit a button and I'm okay. Well, it would kill anybody else. It's well, that great. was like that was the thing for like paladin tanks going all the way back to to uh, mists 
the Hordon fight. Mm. Uh, you guys remember that? Yeah. He used to put that horrible debuff on the tank. And so tanks would have to swap to let it fall off. But if you had a paladin tank, they could just divine shield, clear the whole thing, and then taunt him right back, uh, which which trivialized Horridon for for guilds that actually had a paladin tank. Mm-hmm. Um, but but every you know like Death Knights I mentioned before, Shaman. Uh, not only can Shaman just stop being dead whenever it's it pleases them. Oh, I'm dead. Oh no, I'm back <laughs> up. Um, but they can, you know, they can just make a giant fire guy show up and start hitting you or a giant rock guy just show up and be really mean to you. And you'll be like, you'll pay attention to the rock guy. Anybody with taunt, because taunt doesn't make any sense. I've said this a million <laughs> times. Taunt is an ability. Like I, I does like, I can just imagine some, some incredibly hyper muscled warrior bent over a library somewhere. And everyone's like, what's, what's, what's Rockthar there doing? Uh, He's reading. What, what is he reading? Giant book of, of insults of, in a draconic. Like, just, you know, how do I say your mother's so fat she laid only one egg? And draconic. <laughs> okay. Niscock to Luva Dabak. Oh, I'm going to kill you, little orc. <laughs> you know, taunt. The ability that just makes everybody attack you. Um. So, yeah, they'd all be overpowered. Yeah. I think we're on so, to the yeah. next one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Corey also asked, why do you think that Warfronts weren't brought forward as content? How would you have changed or improved on them? Uh, the problem I always had with Warfronts was that other playing with other people can be really annoying. And in Warfronts, you have the people who know what you're supposed to do, and then people who are just kind of clueless and don't know what you're supposed to do. And it's like, there weren't really, like, it's kind of directionless. There aren't always super clear signs, so the people who don't know can do what they want. And then the people who do know see the people who don't know and are yelling at them. And then there are the people who are just there, and it's like, I'm going to ignore all of this and AFK off in the corner so I can get the rewards. Or, you know, like, the social aspect of it was what made it a problem and made it not fun. Warfronts combined all the stuff I didn't like about Alterac Valley <laughs> with all the stuff I don't like about player versus environment encounters. Alterac Valley, yeah, there's a lot about it that can be annoying, but you have the other faction also going to their end goal to, to make you want to go faster. You have, not only are you going to fight them, you're absolutely going to fight them and try and stop them from achieving their goal, but they, there's time pressure. There's there's reasons to move. Warfront, why should I do anything? Like, I, I never once lost a Warfront. I didn't even lose the heroic Warfronts I ended up in. Like, if we're never going to lose, no matter what I do, what am I? Yeah, I can do anything. And I don't and I can do nothing. I, I can just I can literally spend the entire Warfront off in the corner trying to fight this one boss for no reason. It's like the one little event that happens. I, I can just met, I can just do that. I don't have to do anything. That's that was my take on Warfronts. I liked them in terms of ooh, I'll just hang out and then at the end I'll get some gear. But I didn't like them because I didn't feel like anything I did really mattered. Like I never lost one. Did you guys ever lose a Warfront? I can't yes, remember actually. losing a Warfront. You did? Huh. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about it, Joe. I mean, it was indifferent. We just got a notification that said you lost. Ah, uh, but like. There was nothing spectacular about losing. There's nothing spectacular about winning. Like and you've it, lost a war, you've lost an Alterac Valley in your life where you guys were racing against the other yeah, faction, right? That's and you're like, we gotta pull, we gotta pull, we gotta pull. And but then this doesn't. You pull this you never felt like lose. that, right? It never. Yeah, it, no, it, it never did. It never had that frantic energy. What it really felt like is it felt like a uh, asynchronous scenario. So there's a board game I love called Root. Um, if you haven't played it, highly recommended. But it's all asynchronous. Every faction is trying to do something different in order to win the game. Uh, And that's what it kind of felt like with Warfronts. It felt like if I interacted with the Alliance, okay, great, but I didn't need to. I could do everything I needed to or, or do things that had no interaction with them while they did something that had no interaction with me and it didn't feel like a race. Um, Interestingly enough, it also felt like that was the PVP aspect of Island Expeditions that we were that they talked about that we never got uh, and how that was supposed to be. Because if you remember, like Island Expeditions, they're basically scenarios. But at one point they were supposed to be PVP experiences as an option where like the other faction was actively working against you or trying to race against the 
against you for the resources to complete the scenario. We never got that. But Warfronts, to me, I think the reason they didn't get dragged forward is because they were horribly labor-intensive on the back end. Because they were whole zones. They were large-scale things with a ton of players for little return. And once players were done with them, they didn't go back because there really wasn't an incentive to go back. So why put your effort into that when you can kind of go to something else that might have a better return on investment or better player engagement? Uh, And for Autoluke and chat, the board game is called Root, R-O-O-T, Root. But that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I don't have anything further to add. I think I'm more. Okay. Shall we make Liz do another one? Nah. Okay, go ahead. Um, She said woohoo, so. Yeah, yeah. No, this one, I'm going to skip a question, and I think this is going to be a really Mm -hmm. easy one for all of us. From Riptides, picking up from the last Blizzard Watch podcast, should Blizzard remove armor type restrictions from Transmog? Is there any real problem running around in cloth transmog as my warrior or plate on my warlock? I say, bring it on! More transmog! Same. I honestly think that we are past the point of time where what you wear and wield is important at a visual inspection quick glance in PvP anymore. Add-ons tell you what you're you're fighting. Like, I can mouse over somebody and know exactly what spec they are and what class they are. In two seconds, I don't care if it's a warrior wearing uh, cloth twill armor. Uh, I'll know that he's, you know, a warrior. And that's really all I care about. So give me, give me. I want cloth. uh, I need more dresses. I'm going to tell a story based on a completely different game. But just to give you an idea of how I work (laughs) on this thing. I'm streaming Cyberpunk because I've been playing a lot of it lately. They recently, they recently uh, patched out an an add-on that allows you to edit game files. This is an add-on that most people use to cheat. I use it because there is no transmog system in Cyberpunk. (laughs) So I have to go and make all the gear as good as the gear I actually already have so I can wear it and just look how I want to look. I hack a game for the express purpose of making my character look how I want to look. Of course I'm okay with this. Any question, should they remove any restriction from Xmog at any time, my answer is going to be yes. Like... I, I can't think of an answer that I would give that would be no. Like, uh, no, I can't. There's no transmog question that you go ahead. Ask me, throw a restriction at me. here. One of you, someone to throw a restriction at me. See, they can't uh-huh. do it. They can't yeah. even think of any Xmog restrictions they want. It's just, it isn't. No, just get rid of all of it. Just let us do whatever we want. As long as we go out and get the piece of gear. Oh, sorry. Real you quick. Know? Apparently there was a PVP PVP Island expeditions. I apologize and walk that back. Sorry. Please continue. That's okay. Uh, I didn't remember it either, but yeah, transmog. Why are we even having this discussion at this point? Transmog came out in cataclysm mm-hmm. cataclysm and was born before, in Diablo. Yeah. Before <laughs> Diablo three came out, just do it already. Just, just leave, just re- even even stuff I've defended in the past, like not letting two-handed weapons transmog to one-handed weapons, F me, I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I that guy was a jerk. That guy was you, like, last week. Yeah, I know. That guy was a jerk. He was probably had low blood sugar. I don't know what his problem was. No, remove transmog restrictions. Doom, we're done. Mic drop. I mean, WoW is basically, WoW with transmog is just the basic, just the most entertaining game of dress-up ever. And I think it's a proven fact that looking good makes you do more DPS. I mean, that's just 100%. What can I say? That's just that's just the truth. The red bug so, mount in Ankara was was demonstrably faster than all the other bug mounts. We all know this. <laughs> Listen, there are there are a few universal things that I have learned in life thanks to Warhammer 40k and orcs. The red ones go faster, the purple ones are sneaky. If it's blue, it's super lucky, and if it's yellow, it's going to hurt. <laughs> so, yes, transmog matters. But yeah, I, I think we're all we're all in agreement that the council has spoken, transmog restrictions must go. Thank you, good night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got to do one more or are we done? Uh, that's up to you. Well, I'm asking you guys how you feel. I'm good for one more if Liz is. Uh, we can do the sure. Lord Soth one. Yeah, you can do the Lord Soth one. Go ahead. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, this one's. Uh, hmm. Okay. From Lord Soth. Question for the Blizzard Watch so- podcast. Well, Lord Soth here. <laughs> Sorry to do this. Yeah, I should have. Yeah. Did you. 
I did, did read you it. read this question? I did read oh. it. Okay, so yeah, Joe did not know what question no, I was going I just to ask. Lord just so- said to read this question. I'm sorry, and, uh, Lord Soth, you maniac. <laughs> so sorry to do this now, but my intrusive thoughts can be your intrusive thoughts. What do you think people like trolls and orcs do instead of kissing? I just don't see lips meeting very easily with such large protrusions. Um, and so Joe <laughs> unwisely did not read this question before telling me to read it. No, I didn't. What's I'm the so answer? I got one for you. They absolutely kiss. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the fact that that various races in Azeroth and Draenor, for that matter, have these massive teeth displays that causes sexual dimorphism to such an extreme level in those those species. The reason that orc females have much smaller tusks and smaller heads than orc males is so they can get in there and kiss them. <laughs> Same with trolls. Trolls, the troll, the male troll tusks are so massive that the female troll can just come on in under them and get in there to do some snogging. And election pressure has selected for this. Some similar to how walruses, only it's, male walruses have giant tusks. The, yeah, I was going to say there is actually a use. The, like, is, as funny as this question is, there is actual, like Matt hit it on the head. In nature, this is what animals do in our world. So there display. is, it's it's display, but both, both or, or whatever myriad of sexes are in those, those species will evolve to accommodate that <laughs> look at like look at peacocks right now peacocks and peahens one of the things about you know one of the things that a lot of people don't want to understand is that reproduction is very often controlled by the females of the species mm-hmm. because of course they are they're the ones who have to actually do the reproducing mm-hmm. of course they're in control of it they select who they're going to be with um as a result of this the things that attract them are selected for which is why peacocks look like they're Vegas headliners and peahens are brown. The peahens can look whatever, like just brown. They don't have to attract anything. They can just being a peahen is going to be enough. The peacocks have to do display stuff. Mm -hmm. Same with deer and those massive antlers. Um, The reason a moose's antlers are so enormous is because it attracts mates. Um, It's, it's a evolutionary sign saying to the world, yeah, I'm so strong and healthy that I can have these ridiculous things on my head that, that drain resources and will probably get me killed in all sorts of situations. And I'm still here. So clearly I have the right stuff. And so with, you know, orcs and trolls, especially trolls, those massive tusks are telling all the lady trolls, this guy, this guy will probably, he knows how to get his tusk out of a, of like a bush like when he's hiding in a bush and his tusks get snagged on a, on a branch, he knows how to get out of that. Unless he cut one of the tusks off, that guy's a coward. He just he just should have stayed there and died. This is like mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom for Azeroth right now. I'm telling you. Listen, all I'm thing. saying is I think our patrons would absolutely love if we totally did a Steve Irwin version of like the creatures of Azeroth. I'm just throwing it out there. It's like you just you know, you know honestly though. Seriously, Blizzard, you can you can make some male female models that don't look so ridiculously dimorphic. Yeah, it is crazy. Draenei, in particular, what are you doing? Why? Why? The, why? Blizzard? And I will say, I will say that they have gotten better about it recently, especially with like the neutrals. Uh, so when you start going yeah. in, they're they're a lot more similar as far as like their proportions go. Uh, Makar orcs, uh, females are a little beefier than regular orcs. Uh, they they well, I mean, are a little less dimorphic than. The normal Kul-Tiris women. Oh God, yes. Kul-Tiris women are great. I yeah. mean, seriously, awesome. One hundred. Um, but yeah, no. That's th- my answer to this question is that they they evolved that way so they they can they can snog around it mm-hmm. because otherwise they just have to think about a bunch of sad orcs trying to come up with like actually maybe orcs just play patty cake. <laughs> what the heck? Why not? They just slap hands together. That's cool. You know, like I really like you. High five. Womp. Like orcs, orc flirting is a lot of going. You know, we all know that. Or we are listen yelling that at each other. That's what they do. Yeah. If I've learned anything from Draka, orc flirting is punching. Yeah, there you go. You punch him, <laughs> and if his tooth falls out, he wasn't really worth it. <laughs> all right, I think it's time for me to do the outro before this gets way out of hand. <laughs> all right, is folks. It not already. I mean, it really has. Not. Yeah. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. 
Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, Worgen just rubbed faces together, I guess. Um, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us. Uh, if you've got a question for the podcast, you can send it to us via email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch. So we know it's for this show. Gnomes just write documentaries together. Um, and if you, you know, if you want to come on back and send us something through Discord, you can do that. We've got the uh, Q and podcast questions channel for non-patrons or the patron Q and podcast questions channel for patrons. I'm pretty sure night elves just run around killing things. Uh, that's cause you know, they actually have sharp teeth too. They do. They're like sharks. You know, yeah. So you gotta be careful there. Um, I, I, I so much want to tell the story of the time that, that my mom accidentally caught my father's face right open with her teeth while they were making out, but I don't have time for that. This has been the Blizzard Witch podcast and we'll talk to y'all next week. What just happened?